Okay, let's uh, begin in John chapter 6. I really think I, I should probably break this chapter down into two classes, but we'll see how far along we can get. And we'll just take it from there. If I need to teach in another class, we'll, we'll do that. If not, then maybe we can finish it today. Okay. Um, we're going to start at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So here you have the setting here. Um, he's, he's going to, to teach again. Uh, the Lord has something in mind, usually when it comes to people that are there following him or in the vicinity. Of course, it's the teaching, but there's other things also uh, that are going on here. Now, in verse 3, And Jesus went up onto a mountain, and there sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. So the theme of this chapter, chapter 6, is the Passover. Now, most of us, if not all of us, know that the Passover was a... Um, the Jews celebrated that every year. They still do, actually. And it com commemorated their departure from Egypt with haste. They had this meal, and you know, you know, they have the unleavened bread, and they spread the blood of the, they, of the, the lamb on the lentils or the, the door posts and on the top. Of course, they don't do that physically now, I don't believe, but that's what they did back, back then when they were in Egypt. But the Passover is to commemorate their departure from uh, Egypt. So that's the setting of the entire chapter. And I want to look at some things here, and I'll probably put them on the board, because there's three basic things here in the first 14 verses that are seen in this Passover setting, and also the continuation of that later on when Jesus starts to talk to them and to teach them uh, and they dispute, uh, even his disciples, but you know those there, the Jews, whomever, they dispute some of the things that Jesus is saying, and he has to go back continually to this Passover thing and um, to deal with that, and, and the whole thing about uh, the manna in the wilderness, the feeding. He's talking about a, a feeding in the wilderness. So in... Uh, Verse 5, then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, now, I probably should do this first. First you had the Passover meal. Um, okay. This deals with with feeding. Next you have Jeez, my writing tonight. 
Passover lamb, and that's the provision. And then the third thing is meeting uh, the physical and spiritual need. So you find this with the Passover meal itself, and you're going to see this, since I said that that's the theme of this chapter, you're going to see this interwoven in what's going on here in this chapter. So in verse 5, Jesus sees this great multitude coming unto him. So this is dealing here, the first uh, 14, for the first 14 verses is dealing with the feeding of the 5,000. Now, if I can find it here, when you go through the Gospels and you, you look at some of the different things, now, uh, John is different, that's why it's taught different and apart from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have a lot of... Um, Overlap as far as certain stories, certain, certain parables. But for the most part, John has things in, in it that the other Gospels do not have. This here also is one of the things that overlaps the other Gospels. So the feeding of the 5,000. So I want to read a couple things here from the other Gospels. Okay. I can find it. I should have marked them in here. We'll just go by what's in John, and I'll I'll get to this other thing in a minute here. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So he's looking to Philip, and he says this to Philip to see what type of response he's going to get from him. And the Lord does this even now today with his disciples. And he will show them something or he will see how they're going to react to a certain thing, a certain circumstance, whatever it may be that comes along in their life. To see, see whether they're going to look to him for the feeding, look to him for the provision, look to him for whatever uh, the need to meet the need or they're going to look to the natural thing, and you know that doesn't change. See that that is how people are, and that's where we came from as far as our carnal nature, our earthly nature. We relate mostly uh, to the natural until the Lord does something with us and gets us to a place where now we can relate to 
maybe the circumstance or to uh, a person, whatever it may be, or to him, not in a natural way any longer, but in a totally different way. So this becomes a learning thing for us as a Christian. And the longer you have been a Christian, hopefully you would have learned something that you can relate to the Lord in the spiritual instead of the natural. We always relate to things in the natural. That's our bent. Unless the Lord does something with us to where we start to relate and see things, not just in church, but even more so when we're away from church and we have our normal routines and the things that we go through. See, that does not mean that we cannot relate to the Lord in, in a different way and not relate to everything related to the natural. Now, I know we have to function in, you know, you get up, you have to, you know, you wash your face, you do whatever, you brush your teeth, you go to work. Those are natural things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being faced with something during the day and relating to it according to the natural rather than relating to Jesus so that you relate to that particular thing in the correct way. So here he says this in verse 5, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him. He wants to test uh, Philip, he wants to see uh, what is going on with him as far as, or maybe even showing him later that he's relating to the natural rather than relating to Jesus. So he does this to test him, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. So he sees the multitude coming coming out, and immediately the communication of the Father is, is there with Jesus, and he knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do. The others didn't know. Uh, all of his disciples, his close disciples, his apostles, didn't comprehend what is going on here, what, what has happened. And I'll show you this when we get to the next segment of this chapter. It's very easy. Now remember, they were saved. It's not that they weren't saved. They were saved. They're following Jesus. They left their nets. They left their business, and they're following Jesus. And that's all good. But that becomes a beginning because the Lord must work and do things in their life to change many things before they're able to see certain things, before they have insight into certain things, before they can uh, relate to, to Him and to their environment a totally different way. You see this with Jesus all the time. As as we looked at before, they say one thing, they ask him a question, and he comes back with something completely completely different. Uh, Or, you know, they're relating to one thing. Oh, you know, let me have this water so that I might never thirst. And, you know, she's relating to the natural. Jesus is talking about something completely different Water, yes, she's talking about water, he's talking about water. One's the natural, one is the spiritual. So Jesus, you know, like people say this sometimes, they say, well, don't get too spiritual on me. Did you ever hear that? You're getting too spiritual. Well, you know what? Now, I guess that 
I mean, I understand what they're saying. They're saying that, you know, just stay here in the natural and don't start to relate everything to the spiritual. But I'm telling you what, if you walk in the spirit, you see things differently. And it's not like you're trying to over-spiritualize things. It's just that you have a vision and you see things that maybe others don't see. Now, you know, you can take things too far, and, and that's, for example, the one individual years ago uh, came to the Lord, and there was some physical problem with him, but he would walk around, he'd go outside and say, wow, look at that cloud, I see the Lord's face, I see, he's talking, do you hear him? You know, he would just go on, on and on about stuff like that, and he, he went off the deep end. But it wasn't because he was walking in the spirit. You know, it wasn't, you know, the Lord. There was other issues there. Now, in, in that context, I guess you could say, don't over-spiritualize. This guy, I told him that. But that's not what I'm talking about either. That's something different. When you learn from the Lord and you walk, you can walk. I function in my job. I function in my home. And I don't walk around my house quoting scripture, believe it or not, I don't. I don't walk around reading the Bible to everybody. I mean, I, I, do, I function, you know, like a normal person. <laughs> but I do see things, and, and I am able to relate to certain things a certain way because the Lord has shown me certain things. So we all will have the, ch- the chance... And the decision, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but that's okay. I can go back and repeat some of this. We will all have to learn to relate to the Lord rather than the natural thing. So, uh, for example, when I used to work at the Bulk Mill Center, now I did my job, you know, lifting those sacks, you know, crunching your fingers and... All that stuff, you know, you're, you're doing that. Okay, so there's, there's time, there's downtime, not busy. And I'm there doing a physical thing, but in my spirit, uh, I'm, I'm before the Lord. And some fellows come over and start questioning the Bible and questioning certain things. And the Lord gives me something to say to them. See, so you can't... You must learn, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, that you, your, your inner man, can relate to the Lord. You can learn from him in any situation. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. You can learn something from the Lord. He can teach you. Right in the middle of doing your job, the Lord can be there teaching you something. That doesn't mean you, you run over to your boss and say, hey, the Lord just taught me something. No, you think you're crazy. See, that might just be something between you and the Lord. He teaches you certain things. So you're, you're doing your job, but you're relating to, to him in a spiritual way. I don't even like to use that word, spiritual way. But you're relating to him in a way that is moving on a higher level than your job is, is functioning on. So here, he says this to test him. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may eat a little. So in, 
In another gospel, it says that there were, there were 5,000 men that were there. Now, it doesn't account for women and children. There were probably women and children, but it mentions the 5,000 men. So there were at least 5,000. Now, 5,000, that's a lot of people. When I was in the Army, we would have to feed you know, three meals a day, and we were running 250 men per meal. And when you see the massive amount of food that you have to prepare for 250 men, it's like mind-boggling. I remember one time standing there at the grill, and I had two guys working with me, filling up bowls with two eggs, and they had a whole table full of them, and I was dumping them on as fast, as fast as I could, and as fast as they were coming through, because you only had so much time, you had to run 250 people through. When you, when you see something like that, or how many people did we have here for the, the prayer breakfast? About 30 people. And did you see how much food was out there? For 30 people. So we're talking about over 5,000 people, possibly 7,000 if you count women and children. If, if there were that many, I'm not sure. But there were over 5,000 people. 5,000 people. That's a lot of people to feed. So the magnitude of this miracle is just just like off the charts. 5,000. With five loaves and two fishes. So Philip's looking here. He sees all these people. He says, you know, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough. It's not sufficient that everyone would have a little, a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here. Now, he's not, he's not believing by faith here. He's not saying, I believe by faith that this lad has five barley loaves and two fishes, and I believe that all these people can be fed from that. He's not saying that. He's kind of giving this suggestion to the Lord. He's, he's suggesting, like, well, th- this is what we have. This is all we have. It's kind of like he's like there suggesting, uh, I, I don't know. That's all we have. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down in another um, Gospel says to make the men sit down. It specifically says men. And uh, let me just say this for a minute. Whenever you have the same, some people will say that the Bible's not true because they will look at different accounts of the same miracle or whatever it may be, uh, parable in different Gospels, and they say that they're different. Well, that's because the Lord gives us more detail by comparing three or four different accounts. And some of them may even look contradictory, but if you actually study them and, and look, that through, look, at, look through it and look at it very closely, you'll see that it's not, uh, there's no contradiction at all. But going through this particular one here, you see all these different things are brought together. For example, 
It says here, make the men sit down. Well, why is he saying men? Now, this gospel here, John, it, it doesn't say that. It says make the people sit down. Well, it's probably saying men in one of the other gospels because, you know, the men were the leaders. The men were the heads of, of their household. And they were the ones that had responsibility to take the lead in, in various things. You know, not, not the, the wife. She's protected. She's under, under the covering of her husband. Now, not the children. They're not mature enough. Uh, but the man. So he's speaking to the man. So he goes on here. Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place so that the men sat down in number about 5,000. So in the scriptures, you have this, this number five. The number five, uh, when you see it mentioned in v- at various places, five refers to grace. You have five barley loaves. Two... The number two in the Bible refers to witness. You have the two witnesses in Revelation uh, and in various places. It's referring to a witness. So here, or truth, truth, it also means truth. Um, So here you have five barley loaves, and this is, I believe, referring to the grace of, of the Lord that he's giving, going to give here to them, the word he's going to give, the, the feeding. Remember, uh, the first thing I put up here about the Passover meal was the feeding. So there's going to be a feeding here. And so in order to make, um, in order to make them more receptive, that's the word I was looking for, in order to make them more receptive to this feeding, he has them sit down, and it, it mentions this grassy area. It's a comfortable area. He's going to, to make them comfortable. So they're going to sit, and they're going to be in this receptive position now for the feeding. The feeding of what? Well, the feeding of uh, the loaves, yes, But the grace of of God, remember Jesus, it says here in John 1, For the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's going to give grace first, then the truth will come later. There's always a pattern there. Grace first and truth next or, or later. Here's um, another verse, 117. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So he's going to, to give his grace. He's, he's going to bring it out for them so they're receptive now. And then later on, the truth is going to be taught. He's going to bring the truth as he continues on here uh, through this and through the next thing we see in, in this chapter. Then he's going to deal with the people. When they follow him, after this, they're going to follow him. Then he's going to give them the truth. But sometimes people are not ready for the truth, but they're ready for grace. So you may come in contact with someone, 
And the Lord may have you pour grace out to them. You know, give them grace. They, well, maybe they did something to you. Like I, I gave you, I don't know if I did, mentioned it here or upstairs, that years ago I was working and I did something that annoyed this other man and he, he got in my face. He wanted to, this was on, on the work floor, and he wanted to fight. He wanted to, to start fighting and I just looked down and I just, I didn't engage at all. Just looked look down and just, you know, there was other people watching. So it doesn't bother me. It doesn't embarrass me any. I mean, I can, I can just let it go. You know, you want to you know, try to humble me? It doesn't matter. Hopefully I'm already down there. So you can't humble me. Already there. So anyway, he, he gets in my face and never said anything. Just grace. I could have told him truth. Just grace. Some ten years later, the man comes to the church and goes up, comes up front to the altar and seek me out. I, I for, totally forgot about this thing that, that ever happened. And he says, I want to apologize to you for what I did many years ago. So I said, what did you do? I didn't even know. I said, said, remind me. So he he told me, oh, I remember that. I said, it's no problem. But that was the time now for him to hear the truth. I couldn't give him the truth then. He wasn't receptive to it. He couldn't have been receptive. So Jesus will give you grace. He does that even now. He'll give you grace personally. And it may be a while before he can give you certain truth. He gives you the grace. But if he gave you the truth, you might not be able to handle it. So we think we can handle everything. We can handle anything, Lord, you can say. Well, don't be so sure. He could tell you things that you say. Let's put the brakes on real quick. <laughs> let's, just, let's just stop right now. But he doesn't. He just, he just gives you grace. And whenever you're developed enough, or whenever he sees it's the right time, he'll, he'll give you the truth. So five here, the five barrios, I believe, refers to grace. So he tells them to sit down. In verse... Eleven. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So, not like Philip said, that there's, you know, even if we had all this money, and we bought all this food, that they would only be able to have a little. This, what, Je- what Jesus does is he gives them as much as they want. So you have the Passover meal, uh, or you have the feeding here. So this is, this is dealing with the Passover in verse 4. That's the context here. So you have the feeding, and then you have the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. Now you come to the New Testament, who's the Passover lamb? Jesus. So now you have the provision. What's the provision? The provision is not just that they have their bellies full. The provision is that they would understand and that they would know the true Passover lamb, that they would believe. And then the third thing 
is he's going to meet the physical need, as you see with the loaves and fishes, and the spiritual need of those who are willing. Those who are willing to walk with him, even though they may not understand what he's saying. They may not understand uh, the words he's even, you know, what's he talking about? Have you ever sat under uh, any teaching and you say, what in the world? What, what, what? I mean, you, you understand the words, but you don't understand much beyond that. And I remember many times sitting and hearing, especially in the beginning, hearing Charles Hong, one of my mentors, teach things, and I said, I understood the words, but I didn't understand what in the world he was saying. It's like he was just, just talking way up here. And so, and he said some things that were totally contrary to what I thought, what I learned, and what was going on in me. So now I have a choice. Am I going to just, you know, leave? Say, I had enough of this. I'm out of here. Or am I going to say, Lord, I don't understand, which is what I did. I don't understand what this is. I don't understand th- this, this teaching. I believe it's true in my heart, but I don't understand it. So we don't need to understand to be a Christian. Do you know that? You don't need to understand everything in the Bible. You won't understand everything in the Bible. You know, the Bible is only limited revelation. Do you know that? It's only limited revelation. If you account for, and I, I didn't sit down, I wasn't even planning on saying anything like this, but I didn't sit down and do this, but if you actually look at how many hours that Moses was up on the mount, Hours. And you take, for example, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses, and you sit down and you read those. It may take you four hours. Depends on how fast you read. It may take you three hours. It may take you four hours. It may take you five hours. Moses was up on the mount some 70 days times 24 hours, and he probably didn't sleep before the Lord there. So what is written there is limited. What Moses knew, the revelation that he had, that's not all there in the first... It's only only what the Lord thought was necessary is put there. That's it. So you're not going to get everything from the scriptures. Now there's a lot in the scriptures. And you you need to read and study, yes. But you will get things from the Spirit of God Uh, you will have revelation from him 
that comes a different way, not necessarily apart from the word of God. I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm saying that you will hear things, but the revelation of those may not come for some years. Some years. And so there were things I heard, and it took 10 years, 15 years for some things to find. I find said, it's like so clear to me when I teach something. It's so clear to me, and I think I'm sure that it's not clear to everyone. But that's because you don't need the revelation now to follow the Lord. You just need to follow the Lord. The understanding will come later. Don't base your serving the Lord on your understanding because you won't get too far. You just, what you, what you understand, you understand. What you don't, you just move on. Later on, the Lord will reveal certain things to you. You'll see certain things. So he says here, to those who are, uh, in verse 11, that they distributed as much as they wanted. Now, I, I really like that. So, you know, have you ever sat down next to someone to eat? And, you know, you have, for example, we'll just use a good spaghetti dinner. And so you have a decent portion. And then the person next to you, they may not have quite as much on, on their plate of spaghetti as you. And then you might be there and there's somebody else that they wipe their whole plate off, and they have a big portion, and then they're back, and they're eating another plate. See, everybody's hunger is different. It's different. And the same goes with the spiritual aspect of that. So one's hunger can be very, very driving. And when I became a Christian, I, I had this, this hunger for the Word of God. I mean, I just, that's all I wanted to do. It was just like so, oh, it's so good. Oh. Some people, you know, they have no hunger for the Word of God. They, they don't spend time reading the Bible. They don't give the Lord the opportunity to reveal certain things to them from the Word. Well, if you never spend any time reading, you never spend any time meditating before the Lord, reading a verse and just stopping and pondering it and go to the next verse and stop and ponder, the Lord's going to have a difficult time revealing certain things to you. So here, he says, as much as they wanted which means to me that some ate more than others. As I said, that's a common thing. And when it comes to eating of Christ, that's a common thing also. Some desire more than others. Verse 12. So then when they were filled, he said to his disciples... Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments 
of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who, ha- who had eaten. So here you have the feeding of 5,000 plus with, now a barley loaf is not a big loaf of bread like, you know, we normally think of, you know, see that? A barley loaf is almost like around, it's, not, it's probably, I don't know if that's leavened or not, it might be, but it doesn't look that thick, maybe an inch or so thick, inch and a half, and maybe 12 inches in diameter. You're not going to feed 5,000 people or 7,000 people with that. And not only feed them, but have 12 baskets. I don't care what the size of the baskets were. They weren't these little teeny baskets, you know. They were probably a a decent sized basket. And to have 12 of them filled up with the fragments. And everybody ate as much as they wanted. So the disciples here, now I'm not criticizing anyone because I believe that if I was there, I would have been in the same position that they were. You know, you see some of the mistakes that they made and they had no idea, they didn't comprehend and Jesus was telling them and they didn't see it and he's telling them plainly and they still don't understand it. They don't understand it until after the ascension. You know, to whenever the Holy Spirit comes. They don't, they don't see certain things. And, and I don't think that most any of, of us would have. You know, I remember when I was a younger Christian, I was clueless for a lot of things. I just was, I didn't know anything. I mean, it's not, the Lord doesn't hold anything against you if you don't know anything. You know that? I hope you know that. He doesn't hold anything against you. But remember, if you're going to follow on to be a disciple... A disciple is a learner. And if a disciple is a learner, that stands to reason that the master or the teacher will teach those who are learners. Now, you might be a slow learner. That's okay. That's okay. You know, sometimes you have to go through the same circumstance a couple times before you, you get it. But thank God, thank the Lord that he's patient enough with all of us that sometimes he'll bring us along the same way uh, and we'll learn. Remember that the children of Israel in the wilderness, if you get a map of the wilderness and you see they were there 40 years, it's only like a three-day journey to the promised land. It's only like a couple days, two, three days. And they went around and around the same area. I believe it was a mountain range that they went around. Maybe, maybe they veered off. I don't know. It doesn't give specifics. But, you know, the Lord led them in the wilderness constantly. And it, he wasn't going to let them go into the promised land because of their unbelief. But he led them around and around. Hopefully, when you come through the same thing again, you learn something. They obviously didn't learn in 40 years. 40 years. Going around in the same old circle. Well, you know... A disciple is not that way. A disciple will learn. Even if he misses it or she misses it, that's okay. The word will come around again, most of the time anyway, and uh, give us another opportunity. So I, I like the Lord. He's just, he's really good. I mean, he's, he's gracious. 
I, I like when he sees the multitudes here. It wasn't just the disciples he saw. It says when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them. He didn't have to have compassion on them, but that's who he is. I mean, he, he's compassionate. And I, I think sometimes when he, he looks at us and he sees us stumbling around, you know, and he sees compassion on us. He says, well, well, let's just, you know, get along the way here and we'll help you out and get you straightened out. Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So this is the, the beginning of this chapter, the setting, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, whenever Jesus performed a miracle, you know, it wasn't just to perform a miracle. So he heals someone who's blind or a deaf person. That's not to be an end in and of itself because, look, if, if you're sick and you're going to die, Let's say you have cancer or whatever, you, you may have some terminal illness. And the Lord comes along and he heals that. That individual's body is going to die eventually, is not? Is it not going to die? Yes. So the healing is not just to heal physically. But there is to be a spiritual healing or... There is to be an impact upon the spirit of the individual based upon something that the Lord has done here through this miracle. So he performs this miracle here, and the miracle was to have a positive impact upon the people, and it was to bring them out from seeing things in the natural and relating to the natural to bring them into a different light, into a different vision, to see things a different way. Uh, you know, and, and Jesus knows. He knows what he's doing, and he knows how to do what he does very well. But if you look at the Jews, the religious people, and you look sometimes at the multitudes, including this group here, that which the Lord does, he goes ahead and he does the miracle. But that which he does, does not bring about the change in the people that he so desires. So, you know, he, he would speak with great power and authority, but yet some people just, you know, the will of man is strange. I think it's a very strange thing. That God could speak in the beginning was the word. Or excuse me, in the beginning, the, 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 the world was out, without form and void, and it was darkness upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And the Lord said, let there be light. So he speaks to the natural elements, and the natural elements obey him. They don't say, say what? Do what? No, the natural elements just, they, <laughs> they just follow along. With the Lord, he speaks, and it happens. He, he puts things in motion, and they're in motion. But the, man, the will of man is just strange because we can resist 
we can hold on to our own thinking. We can continue to look at life and look at our lives and look at our circumstances in a, a way that the Lord cannot get us out of that thinking and out of that, you know, whole thing there that we, we are in and look at, you know, and function in. I had no idea when I came to the Lord what the Lord was going to do. I had no clue. You know, when you first come to the Lord, it's like, it's like walking into a room and turning a light on. So many things are so different. It's like, wow, what's all this about? <laughs> what do we do? What is this, Lord? What is this spiritual thing here? I have no idea. All I know is what just happened. I think I know. And then you progress down the road and you start to see things. How, how does that happen? How, how, how is it that, that you can work with the people you work with or you're around the people that you're around? And they see you. They see your physical body, you know. They talk to you. But they have no idea, for, just for example, what church is all about. Now, we say church is the building. You know, the church is the church. But church is, you're, the, you're part of the church. You're, you're put into the body of Christ. And, of course, we come into this building, and that's the physical church. But, you know, you have people that you work with. If they would come here, they would say, what kind of place is this? <laughs> I remember somebody said to me one time, they said, oh, yeah, I know, you're religious, you're a holy roller. I said, do you know what a holy roller is? No. So I didn't think so. Well, I'm not telling you. Maybe someday you'll learn. you find out what a holy roller is. <laughs> you might not even know what a holy roller is. You know what a holy roller is? What's that? Is that from the Quakers? Yes. Fall on the floor and I'd roll under the pew. They used to call them holy rollers. <laughs> so, you know, if the Lord comes upon you and you fall on the floor, I guess they can consider you're a holy roller too. I don't really care what they think, but the point is that they're so ignorant of, the, of spiritual things. They have no idea. No idea. And so here comes the Lord, and he's dealing with the multitude. They have no idea. He deals with people today. They have no idea. You know, they relate to things, you know, this religion, that religion, all this other stuff. You know, how they relate. People relate different. You know, people that argue this, argue that. And then Jesus comes and he tries to deal with his disciples. And sometimes we can be pretty clueless too. But that's okay. He'll be patient till you understand some things. And um, I can testify to that. He's pretty patient. If it takes 30 years for you to get certain things, that's fine. The Lord will wait 30 years. He'll work in your life for 30 years just to do one thing in your life. It's just amazing. He's amazing. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just, when I became a Christian, I thought, well, I have no idea what's going on, but I could see my old life is just gone. <laughs> it's gone. I'm done. I can't go back to that stuff anymore. It's just... And the Lord starts doing certain things, and I think, you know, like somebody comes up to you and says, you know, you don't have a life. I'm thinking, hmm, you think about that. 
I don't have a life. Oh, you have no, you have no idea. My life is so different now. <laughs> and the Lord, since I became a Christian, I can honestly say, it's never been a dull moment. There's <laughs> not been a dull life. People say, oh, all you do is you, you go to church, you go to church, you go to work, you go to church. What kind of life is that? <laughs> well, the, the blind are telling me this, you see. But it's pretty exciting. When, when you find out certain things and you see certain things, and the Lord challenges, starts challenging you, See, some of you, the Lord has not challenged you yet. He will. And you say, oh my goodness. And you're going to find out what walking with the Lord's about. And you're going to see how good things can really be. And you're going to say, wow. Wow. But I'll say one thing. The, all the people that thought, you say, boy, you have a boring life. In retrospect, I look at their life, and their life was pretty boring. They go through their normal routines every day, and that's about the end of it. They go home, they maybe sit and watch TV, go out to a nightclub. They have no idea. They have no idea where you are today. And I don't mean here in, in this Bible school. Where you are spiritually today, they have no idea. People. So they see you at your job. They have no idea. You have experienced life, and you have the life of Christ in you, and now you are starting to see things in a totally different way. And you can't sometimes explain certain things to people. They just don't, they'll never, they, unless they come in, they're not going to see certain things. You can't. You can't. Unless a man is born again, born from above, he cannot see. He can't see the kingdom. Well, where's the kingdom? I don't see the kingdom. Where's the kingdom? What's going on with all that? You mean heaven? No, I don't mean heaven. Where's the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God's within you. And you know what? A lot of what the Lord wants to do in your life is going to be done in your circumstances. You're going to run into things, and you're going to have to react a certain way. You're going to have to find the Lord in it, and find out what he wants you to personally do in it. You're going to watch. You're going to see him maneuver circumstances so that you can walk with him. It's just amazing, amazing. You know, you're in something, and you're in it for a long time, and you say, Lord, I'm never going to be out of this. It's always the way it's going to be. And you know, you're struggling in it, and you're struggling in it, and something happens. And the Lord makes a way for you, and you see something you never have seen before. And you would never have seen it if you weren't in that certain circumstance. You would never have seen it. So circumstances, even if they're difficult, are not as bad as people say they are. See, the Lord will take it and use it. For you, for me. So in verse 14, they saw the sign. So let's continue on. Verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, 
he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Now, let me see here. In Matthew, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get, to get into the ship and to go before him unto the other side. And Mark says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the same thing. John here doesn't say it in that way. Verse 16, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So it seems here that John is omitting certain things that you have to pick up in one of the other Gospels that Jesus told them. It doesn't say that here, but that's what happens. Verse uh, 17, They got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus was not come to them. So here they go from Tiberias, Look down to verse 23. However, uh, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread. So where they ate the bread was near Tiberias. So if you, if I would draw a, um, let's, it's a real crude drawing here, kind of like this. That's the Sea of Galilee. So uh, Tiberias is down like here and Capernaum is like over here. And from when I can, if I went, I went to a Bible atlas, one of them showed it was approximately eight to nine mile in a straight line. Uh, I went online and tried to do it on Google, uh, on Google, and it seemed to be less, more like seven, approximately six or seven miles. Okay. Either way, we're still talking. We'll, we'll take the less of those. Okay, six mile from this point to this point. So Jesus is up on the mountain, and there they get into the boat. Verse 17, they're going toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus was not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind it was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Now, I want to read that from another gospel here. This is in Mark uh, 6.48. It says, And he, Jesus, saw them toiling in rowing. So, So Jesus is up on the mountain. And he's, he's watching. He's praying. He's watching. So his disciples are out there, and the, the storm comes up. And how many have ever been on a lake in a boat, small rowboat or something like that, when a storm arose? Anybody? It's rough. It's rough. I mean, you try to paddle. Uh, I got stuck on a lake, and it took, it took me a long time. And as hard as I could paddle to get back to the shore, and I wasn't even out a quarter mile. Not even a quarter mile. So here they are, 
It says here, And he, Jesus, saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them. The fourth watch of the night is between, I believe it's between 3 and 6 a.m. So they're stuck. They're out there on the, on the uh, lake there, and they're stuck. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Now, this is quite something here. Now, when you see this in one of the other Gospels, and listen, this is again from Mark. I didn't finish the verse we were reading. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night... He cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and listen to this, and he would have passed by them. He would have passed by them. So here they are. They're toiling, they're rowing, they're toiling, they're rowing. And Jesus comes and he's going to pass by them unless they reach out or speak out or, if you will, look to him and invite him or receive him into the boat. So this is typical of mankind or, you know, it doesn't matter if you're saved or not, but I'll say, you know, we can be saved and we can be in something and there we are. We're toiling and we're toiling and we're toiling. And we're using all of this natural energy, natural energy. We're going, we're not getting anywhere. We're, we're trying, we're trying hard. We're rowing, we're rowing, we're rowing. We can't get anywhere. All natural strength is gone. We're toiling. And our energy is almost gone. And there comes Jesus. Will we relate to Him in the natural? Will we stay in our circumstances toiling? Or will we look to Him and invite Him into the circumstance, into the boat, into the place where we are struggling and toiling. Now look. Verse, latter part of verse 19, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. So will we as Christians continue to labor in something and expend all this natural energy in in whatever it may be rather than inviting Jesus in, and not talking about initial salvation, I'm talking about where we are, inviting him into that 
and looking to him and trusting him. Now, look what happens. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So they went three or four miles. Well, look at this in the natural first. They went three or four miles here. So we said maybe if we say six miles, that this is a six-mile distance, which I believe it was more than that, but we'll just say six. So let's say they went three or even four. They're, They're halfway. So, you know, we can be toiling in something and toiling in it, but whenever Jesus comes into the picture, all the effort now is gone. And it says here that they immediately were at their destination. Well, how did that happen? Another miracle. Another miracle. But I see the greater miracle here is to allow the Lord to come in. And allow him to get us set in the correct way to where... He is the one who's causing this thing to move. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. Now, you know, we can rest in him. There is a place of rest in him. And having the Lord and inviting him into the boat of our circumstance, you know, know, circumstances can be pretty difficult at times. And we could be in that thing struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling. And and nobody around us might even know that we're struggling. And and here, you know, we're expending this energy and say, oh, this is really, it's wearing me down, it's wearing me down, it's wearing me down. It's like I, I don't have any strength left. I want to tell you something. The Spirit will quicken you will make you alive, the Spirit of God. And if you allow the Lord to come in and, and be there with you in them, now you still have to, just like you take the yoke, Jesus, take the yoke upon me, learn of me. You get in the yoke with Jesus, you still have to do some pulling, you know. But it's not going to be you alone trying to pull that heavy weight. The Lord is there, and he's going to be pulling along. And when he sees that you just can't do it physically, he's just, he'll be right there with you. You know, if you're in the yoke, you have two yoke of oxen, two yoke, yoke together. You know, one pulls, then the other pulls. Then it becomes this synchronization type thing that they both go together. Well, that can occur with you and the Lord in your circumstance. You can be in the same circumstance, and yet the thing just like, even though it's difficult, it's like, it's almost like he just, like, like you know, the Red Sea, like it parts the sea for you. It's like, oh, okay, just go in that thing. It's like, wow, wow. And I think now, there have been many times when I have been come home from work and been very, very tired and had to come down and teach. And I really didn't feel like teaching. And... The Lord knows. The Lord knows. And I've been doing this for 27 years. 27 years. That's some, some of you younger ones. You're not even 27. but doing it for, for more than you, you've been alive. 
every week, year in, year out. I'm not trying to build myself up or anything, but the point I'm trying to make is this, that me, in and of myself, sometimes my strength's done. But I know that if I just stay in there, he's in the boat there. <laughs> he's in there. I don't want him out there. I want him in here. Yes, I will willingly receive you, Lord, into the boat. Then there is not the self-effort in it. See, because self-effort will just wear you out. I'm, I'm talking about this a spiritual thing here. Your efforts. You know, to do, to do, to do, to do. When the Lord is there and he's in there with you, there is a, a lightness to it. It may be heavy, but there's a lightness to it. See, for my, my burden is light, Jesus said. He gives you the burden, but then he helps you, you know, carry it, which is really nice. You, know, you, you get in the world, people want to dump their burdens on you, dump this on you, dump that on you. But the Lord, you know, if he gives you responsibility then he'll help you shoulder that. And the best way I can say that is that the Lord puts that on you and you, you feel that. And it's like, uh, you know, you get a little shaky. But then after a while, he, just, he puts enough on you to strengthen your legs, just like if you're, you're lifting weights, just enough to strengthen you. And then he puts a little bit more on you until you strengthen you a little bit more. Then he puts a little bit more. And then before you know it, you're shouldering something that you thought... It's impossible for me to shoulder this thing, this responsibility. Well, you know, we can try and try and try in our own efforts to do things. And there are a lot of people that, there, there are Christians and there are ministers who get a lot accomplished through um, natural energy. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. You could do a lot through natural energy. But I could never function that way. There's no way I could. I just couldn't. The Lord would, would much rather have you function in spirit than function in natural energy using your mind and what you know and your talents and all that stuff. So I like this where they willingly received him. They willingly. Now, Jesus can put a person in a circumstance that is totally overwhelming to them. And sometimes that is meant to bring about a willingness in the person, a willingness to receive him. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So I, I really like that. He was looking for the correct response from his disciples in the boat. Do you know that the Lord is looking for a correct response from us? Now the whole thing becomes effortless. That's how you want to live the Christian life. It's effortless. You, you go do it, but it's, it's, it's not the same anymore. It's not like you have to, 
you know, grab yourself by the boot heels, like they used to say, bootstraps. You just need to just walk with him. And he kind of like, there you go. Wow. Really, Lord? I get down to jail, and I feel like that sometimes. It's like the Lord just picks me up and just like, it's not where I would want to go. <laughs> and there he goes, puts you in front of these guys, and they're looking at you like, some of them, you know. <laughs> some of them are like, and some of them are, are open. And by the time you finish ministering the Word of God, it's like, it takes 40 minutes to get them to some place where maybe they'll receive you, or receive the Lord, if you know what I mean. So it's, it becomes an effortless thing. That's how you want to function as a Christian, with him there in the boat with you, you being at rest, taking your, your orders, so to speak, from him, and receiving him, giving him the correct response, and then just let him just take you along. It's real nice. Okay, um, let me see here. I'm not going to make it. How many more verses we have here? 71. Now, let's read a few more verses, then we'll, we'll stop. On the following day, when the people who were stand, standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was not, no other boat there except that one which the disciples had entered, and that Jesus was not, was not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, now remember, we're talking about the people who uh, were fed, the 5,000 plus that were fed. This is the multitude he's talking about here. That Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, on the surface, verse 24 looks like, well, that's a very good thing. I mean, they're seeking Jesus. I mean, how can seeking Jesus not be a good thing? Well... It depends on the reason why the person or the people are seeking Jesus. Is it a a correct seeking? Are they seeking for the correct reason? Or is there another motive moving in their heart? So you see this with the, the scribes and the Pharisees many times. They come to seek Jesus, but they're really not seeking Jesus to, to hear the teaching, to learn, or uh, to find out 
how or why he's doing what he does or if he's really the Messiah. They come to accuse him. They come to try to, to trip him up in his words. And they'll say this and they'll say that to try to trap him in his words. But Jesus knew the hearts of men. That's, that's a tremendous thing. You know, he knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows what's going on in us. That's, that's quite amazing. He is so attuned to the Father. He knows. When he sees the people come, he knows. Uh, you know, I don't know how you could learn that, um, how anybody could learn that. I mean, you can function in that to some degree. Um, I have functioned in that to some degree where the Lord would show me something there in the person or I would see something related to, to what they're saying and, and you know, see a direction. But Jesus functioned in that thing all the time. He, knew, he always knew. Now, he may not have known with some things he knew way in advance, but other things, it seems to me, when you see what's going on, that the circumstance arises and then the Father's already got, given him a direction or the Father has given him insight into what's going on in the person's heart. So when the Pharisees come and they, they try to catch him in his words, um, the one time they came to him and, and uh, they said, is it lawful um, to pay taxes? And they're trying to trap him, see. And so Jesus says, give me a coin. And so they give him a coin and he holds it up before the religious leaders. He says, whose inscription here is on the coin? And they say Caesar's. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God." They were saying that to try to trap him in his words. And so they're coming to Jesus for the most part, not all of them, but the majority of them was with an incorrect motive. Now, people can do that even today where they may want to go to the Lord for a particular reason. Now, if it's a self-centered reason... That's okay sometimes because, uh, for example, like the one individual, I've seen people do this, you know, where they say, you know, if the Lord gets me out of this, I'll serve the Lord the rest of my life. And, and the one guy was, was facing jail time. And he said, the Lord gets me out of this, you know, I, I'll serve him. Well, the Lord may or may not get him out of it. See, you know, the Lord sometimes... We'll take that if you remember. The Lord took that, got the person out, and the person's still serving the Lord today. See, so the Lord, even though there's a self-centered interest there because maybe their life's on the line now, and I see this a lot at, at the jail. These guys, I told them, I said, you know, your backs are against the wall because you don't know what's going to happen. I said, but I'll tell you this. I know the one who has the answer. Whether you get out or you stay in, you can have a life with him and you can serve him and have a tremendous life. And they just look at you like, huh? The Lord can do those things. Would you say that Paul and John had a good life, a rich life? 
John the Apostle. He ended up in jail. Paul was in jail. Peter had a great life. You know, Peter was married. Do you know Peter was married? Don't tell the Catholics that. <laughs> it's the first pope, they think. <laughs> They'll tell them to read the Bible. They read the Bible and find out he was Catholic. Not Catholic, but find out he was married. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, he had a wife. But that wasn't the basis of a good life for him. I mean, I'm not saying that you understand what I'm saying. He still, you know, he, they, they say tradition says that he was crucified upside down. You know, where we are physically is not a determination of life. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? So a person can be in jail and have tremendous life, or a person can be out of jail and have tremendous life. It's not based upon whether you're in jail or you're not in jail, or you have this job or you don't have this job, or you have, you know, whatever. It, 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 the life of God, you know, transcends all that. It doesn't, it's not based on any of that stuff. It's not based on your circumstances. Your circumstances can be very good in that the Lord can do certain things to bring more of the life of God to you. But whether you're um, employed or unemployed or whatever, that, I mean, that's, it doesn't matter as far as the life of God. You can still draw on uh, Jesus, on his life, uh, on his character, you know, and all that. It doesn't matter where you are or what station in life you, you know, you are in. So these different men were in jail. They were in difficult circumstances, but that, you know, that didn't mean that they couldn't have a good life or, or uh, have the life of God. And so we relate to all this differently many times. A couple of things go wrong, and we think that you know, God's out to get us, and what, what's all this about this Christian walk? Well, you can seek the Lord the correct way in any circumstance. So on the surface here, this looks like it's correct. Uh, but Jesus says it's not. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And when they say this rabbi thing, they're, that's, they're trying to compliment him, you see. And they're trying to mask the incorrect motives of their heart by saying rabbi. You know, well, maybe I'll take that compliment. Oh, that's nice. And, and meanwhile, Jesus sees right through that thing. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So you can't fool the Lord. The Lord sees the heart. He, see, he saw them there. He sees today. You can't fool him. 
Well, Lord, I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Well, you can't fool the Lord. He knows. He may have grace and get you out of something, but, you know, he knows the heart. Best to just walk with him and move along the line being in his will, and you'll see he'll take care of things. It's amazing. It, uh, some of the things the Lord does for us, and sometimes we don't see it, but, you know, you, you get into something, and even if it's incorrect, and maybe, maybe you, you're in something and, you know, you did it ignorantly. And here comes the Lord now. He's going to come in. You're looking to him. It's different now. You know, you're not in your own efforts now. So there he comes. He comes into the boat. And now it takes a while, but things just start to just change. And it's effortless. And there you are. You're Capernaum. <laughs> How did I get here? Wow. What took place? Well, something took place. And the Lord is very, very good at doing what he does. When things look bad and there seems like there's no way out, the Lord provides a way. He'll provide a way for you. It's just amazing. Amazing. So I, I don't know. Like I said before, the Christian walk for me has never been dull. It's always been something. The Lord has challenged me in various points <laughs> and different things have occurred. And it's like, wow. You know, once you, you guys, some of you have been saved for 25, 30 years or so, and, and you look back, you reflect back on certain things, certain points, the Lord, you know, did this or, or touched you or changed something in your life or uh, gave you some direction that you, you went ahead in that direction and you see now all the results that came out from that. Um, you know, sometimes it amazes me how one little thing can project a whole, I don't want to get trekky on you, but this timeline thing, you know. <laughs> but I mean, all these things occur because of one thing that happened, one decision that it's made in your life. And the Lord can, can hover over your life and take you down along this road and maybe 10 years down this path, you'll say, wow, the Lord did this and I had no idea he was going to do these things in my life. And it gets better and better. You know that. The walk gets better and better once he's in the boat with you. And you'll have your your waves, you'll have some, some difficulties, you'll have certain things that happen. But he, he'll make you an overcomer, and this walking in the spirit thing becomes effortless. You know, you get up, you go to work. Now, when you, when you go outside and you walk to your car, well, if you didn't get enough sleep, I guess it's an effort. But I mean, normally, when you walk around and you're well-rested and you walk over to your car or, you know, you're at work and you walk from the work to the lunchroom or whatever you do. That's not normally a whole lot of effort. We're not talking about jogging or, you know, just, just walking. But see, you know, you start to learn to walk in the spirit. And if the thing 
if you're, if you're learning it the way you should learn it, you know, and you start to walk with the Lord, it kind of becomes effortless. You start to just function in it and move in it. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, it's not this big mysterious thing. You, you do what you know you need to do, and then you just follow along with the Lord every day. And oh, I want you to do this. Oh, okay. I want you to go here. Really? Okay. <laughs> I don't want you to do this. Well, I want to. No. Okay. You just go along with the program. It's not that hard. It really isn't. We want to make it hard. Uh, you know, it's not hard. We make it hard because we want to get our own selfish interest and we want to get in, you know, what we want to do in, in all that. And, you know, but if you can get that stuff out and keep it out, you kind of can just move along. It's, it's fine. It's nice. It's good. Then remember... Receive the Lord into the boat and let him be there with you. Sometimes I think that Christians struggle. They struggle and they struggle. And it's because they're toiling and the Lord wants to be in there with them. Now, they may come to church. They might read the Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this is a spiritual matter here to where... He's there, and you can just kind of move along there with him. It's like, well. Okay, we'll stop there, and we'll continue in chapter 6 next week.